Good evening, everyone. Last week, we talked about the rise and fall of the drug morphine, derived from the opium plants and, unfortunately, highly addictive. In talking about that, we mentioned in passing that aspirin was developed at the end of the 19th century as a viable alternative to morphine for pain treatment. I felt that aspirin, being one of the most ancient and most important drugs ever discovered, now deserved its own episode, and so here we are. Ingredients similar to aspirin have been in use for literally thousands of years. Willow bark, which contains a similar ingredient to aspirin, was used as a painkiller and anti-fever drug by ancient Egyptians and Sumerians around 5,000 years ago. This knowledge was certainly not lost either, as we've mentioned in previous episodes this season. Hippocrates, Galen, Pliny the Elder, numerous doctors for thousands of years were still recommending willow bark to treat pain. Across the ocean in modern North America, Native American peoples also discovered this use for willow bark. Even through the medieval era, willow bark continued to be used, which brings us to the 18th century. If you'll recall from your history class, the scientific method is getting kind of popular by this point in time, and in 1758, the Reverend Edward Stone in England was the first to empirically prove that willow bark was useful against fevers in a study with just 50 patients. Not much, but certainly a good start to provide more scientific evidence that the stuff actually works. Fast forward some decades to 1824, when in Italy, two scientists named Francesco Fontana and Bartolomeo Bigatelli first extracted the active ingredient from willow bark. Bigatelli called this new drug the, quote, indigenous substitute for quinine sulfate, and then, quote, very bitter antipyretic saline, neither of which really roll off the tongue in English and probably aren't much better in Italian. As per usual, scientists are often not the best at naming things. Fontana, though, instead called the isolated drug salicin, which is to be the name that stuck for obvious reasons. Over the next few years, other scientists would improve upon the process of creating this, eventually resulting in French pharmacist Henri Larue extracting large crystals of pure salicin from willow bark, which are yellow in appearance and apparently taste quite bitter. Salicin, though, is not aspirin, even if it has some of the same effects. Salicin is similar to aspirin, but what happens is that when you consume salicin, it's actually broken down by your body and becomes salicylic acid, which has similar effects to aspirin. In 1838, Italian chemist Raphael Pirio figured this out and also figured out the chemical structure of salicyclic acid so you could maybe cut out the middleman. His pupil named Cesar Bertanini then kept studying it in ways that you should not try at home. He did the crazy scientist thing where he took massive doses of a drug he was looking at in order to observe just how much of its products showed up in his urine and what side effects he would suffer. Bertanini took 25 centigrams of the drug every hour, which is about double the maximum recommended dose you'll usually find on an aspirin bottle these days. Although the two compounds aren't quite exactly the same, I think the comparison still somewhat stands. Per his records, quote, No disturbance appeared on the first day, but in the second there was a continuous noise in the ears and a kind of stunning. Because of this, I suspended the ingestion. Glad he at least had the sense to stop when his ears started freaking out at him. But even if we now know what salicylic acid is made of, when it becomes dangerous and what it helps with, the usage of a drug depends a lot on its cost and accessibility. Luckily, salicylic acid was one of the first drugs to become industrially manufactured. 
This got started pretty early on with the work of Hermann Kolbe, Rudolf Schmidt, and Friedrich von Heyden, all of whom were scientists at Marburg University in Germany. In 1874, they established the first factory for producing salicylic acid, which was so much more efficient than extracting the stuff from willow bark that they were able to sell their compound for one-tenth of the price. As you can imagine, this helped clinicians use the stuff more, and they did. In the late 1800s, numerous studies showed that salicylic acid was useful for lowering fevers, for pain, and for inflammation. All great news. The not-so-great news was that salicylic acid has some pretty rough side effects, including nausea, irritable bowels, and ringing in the ears. Turns out that ringing in the ears can be a side effect even without the massive doses. So in 1888, the company Bayer decided to create a drug division, and worked to make a similar drug to salicylic acid without some of those side effects. Felix Hoffman, a young chemist, was given the task of finding this new drug with the help of one of his bosses named Arthur Eichengrew. Hoffman, motivated in part by his father's arthritis and his father's regular use of the inferior salicylic acid, worked at the problem for years. It was not until almost a decade later, on August 10, 1897, that Hoffman was able to reliably and efficiently create acetyl salicylic acid, also known as aspirin. So if your birthday is August 10th, congratulations, you share a birthday with aspirin. Aspirin was an immediate clinical and commercial success. Hoffman's boss, a man named Heinrich Dreiser, was responsible for promoting the drug, but actually initially rejected it, stating that it had no value. Eichengrun pushed for the drug, though, and went so far as to test it on himself, although I don't have any crazy details about him doing that. Drazer eventually relented and, in my opinion, unfairly received a lot of pay for his role in promoting the new drug, despite contributing relatively little compared to Eichengrun and Hoffman. Even less cool was the fact that Drazer published the first essay on the pharmacology of aspirin, but didn't mention Hoffman or Eichengrun at all. It would not be until much later that Hoffman and Eichengrun's contributions to the creation of aspirin would be more clear. Eichengrun's role was obscured partially because it was deleted from Bayer's archives when the Nazis were in power, likely because Eichengrun was Jewish, and he even spent some time in concentration camps during World War II. Hoffman, despite not being mentioned in Dreiser's essay, had his name and his name alone as the inventor on the patent for the aspirin in the United States, and also has numerous laboratory notebooks that detailed his work, which eventually showed his involvement. It didn't take long for aspirin to catch on, though. Aspirin was really the first widely available modern non-opioid medication to treat pain. A very big deal. It also was the first drug sold in tablets that we know and I guess love, at least compared to the powders that came before, which sound very inconvenient. Aspirin would also go on to have many more uses discovered, and it is today one of the most prolific drugs ever, even over a century after its initial discovery. So that's the story, at least in brief form, of how aspirin was discovered and became used for pain treatment. Now next week, we return to talking about opioids and what happened after morphine began to fall out of favor. The story of aspirin also makes for a great segue, because as it turns out, 10 days after the discovery of aspirin, Hoffman would discover a different drug called diacetyl morphine, also known as heroin, which we will talk a bit more about next week. As always, thanks for listening. If you like the show, tell a friend, or if not, tell me why, with the links in the show notes. 
Thanks also to Jojo Tang for editing, Angie Lee for our cover art, and Muse Open for this music. Music 